This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 405. There's more chaff in the workday, probably than you'd like, but the goal is not to fill all that excess time with other non-essential stuff, but it's really to get to what does your team need to get done? How does your team need to get it done? And what kind of attention and energy do they need to do that work? We are at a pivotal point in how our culture approaches work. Workplace burnout is at an all-time high. Employees are choosing organizations that prioritize work-life balance, flexibility, and remote work, and align with their personal values. As a result, organizations are forced to reevaluate their structure, priorities, and communication, but often have no idea where or how to begin. Hi there, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading must be a part of that plan. With this podcast, I help you narrow your reading list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors and their books. That author today is Elizabeth Knox. She and Katie Butler have written a book called Work, Reimagined, how the power of pace can help your organization achieve a new level of focus, engagement, and satisfaction. I'll be asking Elizabeth about what happens when we measure how effective we are at work by how long we work rather than by outcomes, why our workdays and our workplaces are not designed to facilitate focus and what to do about it. I'll ask her about the realities of burnout as well and much, much more. Hey, if you're looking for assistance with employee training, whether it be in the form of a workshop, maybe helping facilitate a book club, or you're looking for a speaker for your next event, especially if the areas you're looking for help with are in and around personal and professional development, mindset, reading habits, and the like, I hope you and I can connect to talk about it. You can reach out to me easily, Jeff, at Read to Lead Podcast. Com. I've spent some time recently since the release of my book in front of folks at LinkedIn, Disney, and more. And I'd love to help your organization. Again, it's Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. And for more on my book, visit readtoleadbook.com. That's readtoleadbook.com. Elizabeth Knox is the founder of Match Pace, an organizational effectiveness company that helps teams work well and live well. She empowers teams to work effectively by helping them learn how to create space for collaboration and synergy and to minimize the mess of a typical workday so they can do the deep work that supports the mission of the organization and ensures people have time for their other priorities. Her new book is called Work Reimagined, How the Power of Pace Can Help Your Organization Achieve a New Level of Focus, Engagement, and Satisfaction. Well, Elizabeth, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I'm really excited to be here. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to our mutual friend, uh, Coach Lisa Lewis, yep. who is responsible for making this introduction. Without her involvement, we might not even know each other. So be sure and check Lisa out at least lisalewiscoaching.com. How do you, how do you know Lisa? Um, I met Lisa through Forward, which is an organization for professional Christian women. And then she's actually my coach. Um, so I so appreciated, um, her kind of thoughtful engagement with, with our conversations. And I knew that she would have the skills and the wisdom to help me as I progress as a human. So I know her personally and professionally. 
Well, let's, uh, with regard to your book, let's start with a definition, a book that's been out since what, September, I think 21st or something like that. September, yeah. So let's have you kind of define this word pace. So we'll be tossing that word around yeah. quite a bit in our conversation. What do you mean by pace at work specifically? Yeah. So we, what we mean by that is the established rhythms and expectations of the workplace. So what we want is for an organization to be running at a healthy, sustainable pace and accomplish their mission over the long term without burning out. And so the key word here is sustainable. You can't be, you can definitely be effective in the short run, mm. you know, running at a really, you know, intense pace, but we want organizations to be sustainable over the long haul. And so you need to be able to sustain your effectiveness by sustaining it at a pace, at a healthy, sustainable pace. Mm. And, and you bring up uh, something that you highlight specifically in the book, and, and that is that at MatchPace, you focus mainly on the organization, because if you focus only on the individual, then they're only going to go so long before the organization derails them. So the focus with this process is really on the organization first, the individual second. Is that, a, yes. is that an accurate way to say it? Absolutely. Because you can do all of your own kind of organizing yourself, organizing your own attention, organizing how you want your day to go or how you want to work. But if you're working in this organization, that's kind of a ball of chaos and they don't have their stuff straight. It doesn't matter how straight you want your stuff to be. Um, right. And right. So we want to create environments. We want organizations to be healthy, sustainable mm. environments for people to be able to do their best work. I just read an article on this yesterday. I know you know this because I sent you this article, but t talk a bit about why we still use time to measure our work and, and what happens when you measure how effective you are by how long you work rather than by outcomes. Right, right. I mean, I think the the easy reason why we still use time is because we just have for a long time. You know, I, I think that's a lot of it. And, and it made sense in an industrial mindset. Because sure. the longer you were in a factory or the longer you were working, the more work you could produce. So it makes sense. And it makes sense when we think of machines, that machines can run. They don't, machines don't get diminishing marginal returns the longer the workday stretches. So we kind of have this industrial mindset to work. And we've, you know, people are starting to question it now, which I'm really grateful for. Um, but we've never really taken a hard look at it and said, hey, could, how could we do this differently? And how could we do this differently? And how could we do this right? There have been steps towards it, but we just haven't quite made the transition yet. I know the research you've studied has uh, some pretty stark revel revelations, one of them being related to the question I want to ask next. And that is this, what is the, the typical response from, from company leaders when you tell them that the average knowledge worker gets about two and a half hours of productive work done every day? I mean, the, the general response, and you know, we don't really lead with that. Um, people right. <laughs> take great offense to that. They feel like there's something, you know, criminal almost to that. Mm, um, yeah. And so we don't lead with that, but we eventually get to, hey, there's more chaff in the workday probably than you'd like, but the goal is not to fill all that excess time with other non-essential stuff, but it's really to get to what does your team need to get done? How does your team need to get it done? And what kind of attention and energy do they need to do that work? And so once we get to know, you know, an organization, and one thing that I want to, I want to point out is we really try to enter these conversations without judgment. Um, mm. You know, I think someone hears that and they get defensive and we really are not looking to condemn anybody or to attack anyone's work style. We're really trying to right. get to what will help your organization function at the, you know, its absolute peak. And, you know, you may find that actually given the intensity of the work that you want people to do and given the way the human brain works, 
two and a half hours of productive work plus some what we call sustaining work, like that's about what a human can do. Um, and what you want is for those times to be really focused, um, for those times to not be dispersed all over the day. Um, what you want is for them to be focused on the right things. And so, you know, when we get to the point of having that conversation with a leader and they kind of get past the initial defensiveness and we start to talk about it, we can start to build a workday that really leverages people's peak energy and leverages the most important things that need to get done and make sure that there's enough sustaining work um, that keeps the organization running. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, that is a really good way to work. (laughs) So we usually get there. Well, I am recommending your book uh, to a number of people uh, without judgment, uh, but folks who uh, my interactions with, uh, I sometimes see uh, there's one person in particular who I will not name, who is is often quick to tell me how much time he spent working on something as if that makes it more valuable because he spent you know ten hours on it. Mm-hmm. When really all, all I'm interested in is well, what what were the results, right? What what was the ultimate outcome? Talk about you make a distinction between things like time management and, and energy hacks and and attention. Talk about the difference between those in, in your view. Yeah. So I recognize that. I have to talk about my work a little bit differently because a lot of times people do go to, they're like, oh, you're a time management consultancy or you're a productivity Mm. consultancy. And so we have to like work better to explain what we do um, and not in a book form um, so that people can get it. But, but kind of back to that point of you have about two and a half hours of productive time, you know, like the idea is that you can have all the time in the world. You can work, that was air quotes of work for 10 hours a day, but still not get anything productive done. So you can have all the time that you want. If you don't know how to focus that time, that time isn't really good for anything. Or, you know, you can do different productivity hacks or energy hacks, but if they're not focused on the right work that needs to be done, it doesn't matter. You know, you can hack your calendar to look a particular way, but if you still don't, if you aren't clear on your priorities and clear on how you're going to get those priorities done, energy hacks don't work. And so that's where, you know, sometimes people are disappointed then when like their initial conversations and they think what our work is going to look like, they think it's going to be quicker wins. And they, we do try to have quick Mm. wins, but it really is about organizational transformation in terms of everybody knowing their priorities, everybody knowing their, you know, having defined accountability, who's responsible for what and who's not responsible for what and having honesty and trust and, you know, and having like working on attention management, these things take time to unravel an organization from the way they have been to where they want to be, to be more focused. So we're not about time management. We're not about energy hacks. We're really about like organizational effectiveness. And it takes, it takes different work to get there rather than some hacks. Yeah, I know you're familiar with the work of Molly Fletcher, mm-hmm. who endorsed your book. She wrote a book called uh, The Energy Clock. I've had her on the show. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent uh, of what she talks about with regard to viewing the things you have to do, your calendar, et cetera, through the lens of energy, what gives you energy versus what zaps your energy. Is that an energy hack in your view or is that is her work different than what you're talking about here with regard to energy hacks? No, I wouldn't call that an energy hack. I'm trying to think of a like a bad productivity hack or something or just not a bad productivity hack, but something incomplete. Like an gotcha. incomplete productivity, like block your calendar. Well, if you're not really clear on what your priorities are, it doesn't matter if you block your calendar. It doesn't matter right. how you spend that time if it's not on the most important things. What she's talking about is recognize the things that give you energy and how you schedule those and how you pay attention to those. And then recognize the things that drain your energy and how you schedule those and how you pay attention to those. 
And that's part of it's, it's aligned with our work very much, Um, you know, because that is part of it. I joke about how overprotective parents would say like, nothing good happens after midnight. And for me, nothing good happens after 8 PM. Like I just am so, I'm so far gone. I have no Mm -hmm. attention left. And so if I try to work again, here's these air quotes. If I try to work after 8 PM, I kind of wander around the internet. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Maybe I could bill for those hours if I were in a bill capacity because I was working, mm. but I wasn't getting anything done. And so that's a little bit of the, the Molly Fletcher, knowing yourself and knowing where to put what kind of work. Awesome. Yeah, I love I love Molly's work. And if we have time, we'll dip our toe in the water of more of Molly's work here towards the end of this conversation. Some might say uh, that the simple answer to this issue is the flexibility to, to work from home a part of the time, something that you know a lot of companies have, have been forced to grapple with since the pandemic. What would you say to that? It, it, it's really more than that, right? It's not just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not that simple. A lot of people were like, oh, flexibility, telework, like this is what you've always wanted. And again, I'm like, oh man, my message has not been clear. If people have seen this and thought like, oh, this is what I always wanted, because what I want is an organization that's really clear on their priorities. And I have been surprised when we've gone in and consulted with organizations, like how often it happens that they're not you know, they're not clear on their priorities or people aren't clear on their roles or people don't actually trust each other. And so for flexibility and telework to work, A, all of those things need to be there. Um, So flexibility and telework don't work if, if people don't have a shared understanding of different things. And then also the the synergy and creativity that comes from collaboration. For one, it's really hard to replicate virtually. It's not impossible, but it's, it is harder um, to replicate virtually. And a lot of times what ends up happening with flexible work is it means like you're just always working because somebody's always working. And so then they're kind of half expecting you to be working. So you're half checking your email. And so we talk a lot about pace syncing and it's about designating times for collaboration and synergy and designating times for, you know, individual deep work and designating times when people can count on the ability to unplug. Um, Mm. And so we work with organizations to help them develop the right pace for them. And it depends on what kind of work they do, who their clients are, what their team's needs are. And then we help them develop their own pace. And then everybody syncs to that pace. Um, Mm. And then that allows people to understand it is, it can be flexible, but it's not flexibility that's all over the map of like, well, my boss sends emails you know, 520. And so I need to respond to those by eight, you know, 8 PM, but my, or 8 AM, but my manager, you know, Mm. so like, we're really trying to bring some consistency to people because this always on never able to put your head down and work or never able to truly unplug is hurting people right now. And it's leading to burnout. And so what we're trying to do is help organizations be more clear about what they need and not be all over the place with lots of flexibility. You remind me of one of the examples in your book of of the uh, young lady who I think you were working with. And and if I've mixed this up and got it confused with another book, I apologize <laughs> in advance, but I'm, I read so much. I, I think it was from your book, but she was expressing frustration with getting emails from her boss mm-hmm. at night. She had gone so far as to not respond to them, but it didn't really matter because she was still reading them, still checking them. And it was still basically taking her evening hours away from her because of that. She goes to her boss and then has the conversation eventually. And the boss is like, well, I don't expect you to respond to them. And I was so mad at that boss. I'm like, well, why are you sending them? Why don't you just schedule them to come out the next morning? Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. And all of those things. So something that we also work on, which I have a ton of fun with is norms, which are the unspoken and unwritten Mm. rules that govern an organization. And what we love to do is help. Again, it's without judgment. It's just like, oh, you say that she doesn't need to respond to these emails that you send at night, but she Mm. thinks the unwritten rule is that she needs to see them and she needs to be aware of them and needs to be thinking about them. Let's talk about Mm. that. Let's talk about what that does to your organization. Let's talk about how you want to do it differently. Like it's not condemnation of this boss. It's not condemnation of this you know, young woman who's, you know, a teammate, it's just like, oh man, I didn't understand the impact my behavior was having on somebody else. I don't want my behavior to have that impact. Let's figure out something else. You know, there's an argument of like, well, you send the email whenever you're done with it so that when they get on, it's available because, you know, maybe they get on at 5 a.m. and you want them to see the, you know, there's just all different ways to do it, but it's the clarity and the communication and the trust that someone actually means that. To be able to trust that your boss means, oh, I don't want you to respond to that at 7 p.m. If you're not working, I'm just sending it so that it's there whenever you are. If you can trust that your boss means that, it means you can work so much better um, rather than operating out of fear or, you know, that's a perfect example of like time management. She's not working at night, but all of her attention is gone because right stewing about things yeah well related to these these issues elizabeth what do you what do you mean when you say that our work days and our workplaces are not designed to facilitate focus what, what do you mean by that mm-hmm. um so i'm an enneagram two and one of the things about enneagram mm-hmm. twos is that they're not or the part the enneagram two that i am they're not good at calling up data facts so whenever <laughs> data question, i think this is right somewhere in here so this is the woman um dr gloria mark and she's from uc irvine mm-hmm. and she has a statistic that says knowledge workers are interrupted 20 times an hour it's every three minutes and it takes you 15 minutes to regain your focus Um, And I may have that 20 and 15 backwards, but anyway, the core message is knowledge workers are constantly interrupted either from, you know, colleagues, somebody stopping in somebody, you know, back when that was more common, when we didn't all work in our own little home offices or, you know, we're interrupted by ourselves. You know, we feel this pull of like, this feels hard at the moment. I'm just going to go look at Twitter. Um, (laughs) And so we have notifications on all the time. We have calendar notifications that pop up. Some of us let our emails, you know, so the, the modern work workday is not built to facilitate focus. And when we think about that, again, it's back to the attention. If you want to solve a thorny problem for you know, one of your clients, you need to be able to pay attention to that problem and focus on it. And if you're constantly being interrupted and it takes you 15 minutes to regain your focus, you're never actually giving it the attention that it needs. And so mm-hmm. that's what I mean by the modern workday is not set up to facilitate focus. You mentioned uh, burnout earlier. That's a that's a word we're all, <laughs> I think, quite familiar with. You also cite in the the book uh, that the World Health Organization is st- taking that a little more seriously too. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. So it's now officially a, a designated diagnosis. Designated. It's a, now officially a diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. and so now a doctor can, you know, check a box that says this person is burned out. And it's specifically related to work. Um, I think we can all experience burnout in our personal lives, you know, the the different feelings of being burned out, but the World Health Organization definition of it is specifically related to work. And it's these things that we're talking about, this feeling of like constantly being fractured, and it leads to Mm -hmm. depression, it leads to health problems, it leads to relationship problems. And so we're just recognizing that this frantic kind of overwork slash overwork on things that aren't necessary 
you know, all of these things are just having really negative consequences for the organization's mission. You know, we're not as focused on the mission and getting it done. Um, it has negative consequences for people individually, you know, their health suffers, their mental health suffers. Um, and then it has implications for their relationships. They're, you know, strung out and strained. And then that, that comes home or stays at home with them right now um, and has negative impacts. So there's, there's just cascading problems resulting from ineffective workplaces. Mm. We talked a bit earlier about match paces focus being on the organization. Um, I want to talk a bit about optimizing pace for individuals because it really is, is a loop, right? Organizational change only happens when individuals decide it's time to change the organization, as you write yep. uh, in the book. So, so what about optimizing for individuals? Speak to the various chronotypes and, and your trademarked chrono pace mm-hmm. process, which I love. Cool. So it is, so we have these concentric circles of change, right? There's individual, organizational, and systemic. And mm. we exist in this world, we exist in this, you know, the air that we breathe is particularly in the United States, is an, a system that focuses very much on productivity. And that's where people tend to get their value. That's how organizations, you know, consider themselves successful. And then there's the organization, which we've talked about, and then there's the individual. And they really are kind of this infinity loop is that you can't change the system until individuals change. You can't change the org. It's hard even for an organization to change in a system that operates like this. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we focus specifically on the organization, but we know that organizational transformation doesn't happen if individuals aren't transforming themselves. And so one of the things we do is offer executive coaching with each of our engagements because the executive, the leaders really need to lead this change. This isn't something that the team can come to the leader and be like, hey, we want to work differently because we think it will be better. I mean, they can bring that up, but if the leader doesn't believe it, if they don't go through their own transformation, it's not going to change the organization. Right. And so we have lots of tools to help individuals transform. And then you mentioned the chrono pace, and that's actually along the lines of Molly's energy clock of Mm. knowing your own chronotype. So the term chronotype is chronos, which is Greek, I believe for time Mm. and then type. So chronotype. So each person has their own time type. You might be an early bird. You might be a night owl. There are a couple others. And so what we help people understand is their chronotype and Mm. when they are at peak energy and then help them pace their day so that they put their most important work in that window. Mm. Um, And so, you know, back to my 8 PM where nothing good happens, you know, (laughs) if if you get me at five or 6 AM, I can just knock stuff out. And so many people recognize that they have that feeling sometimes, but they don't recognize it enough to be like, Oh wait, what if I structured my day that way? And we've got bosses, we've got children, we've got, you know, partners, we've got all these things that it's not, you can't always structure a day to optimize your professional pace. But like I say, if I can do that two days a week, it does so much more because I can get so much good work done at my Mm. peak time. And then the rest of the stuff I can, you know, make it happen, but I've gotten my really important work done at my peak time. And so we try to help individuals become aware of that. And then we even have a team chrono pace where you can get to know each other's chronotypes and like help leverage them, you know, help them mm. help somebody guard their peak time or, you know, ask them to work on something when they have the most focus. I like that. You know, and it reminds me of the work that uh, Dan Pink has done in this space when the scientific secret to perfect timing. I'm sure you're familiar with with Dan's uh, work, I've had a chance to interview him on that on that book, and uh, we'll put a, 
a link to that book in the, in the show notes because I think it's applicable here for, uh, for what we're talking about. In addition to Elizabeth's book. Yeah, I know. He's one of the later on um, when you ask, you're going to ask me about my favorite books. And so Dan's going to have that there. <laughs> He's going to come up. Yeah. Uh, well, I do have a couple of questions not directly related to your book. But before I ask those questions, anything else from the book you want to make sure that we know about? Um, I think there are two things that I would want to make sure that I kind of foot stomp. Um, the first is how important work is. I think sometimes people hear what we're talking about and they think like, oh, you just don't take work seriously or, you know, or like you just want everybody to be relaxing all the time. And it's like, no, work I think is so important. And I think good work is so important. So I really want to make sure that that comes across is how important it is. I mean, work is how, you know, we do change the world. It is how we solve problems. It is how we serve others. It is how we provide for our families and work is incredibly important. And so I just want to make sure that that comes across really clear. And then we didn't get to the systemic part, but that's mm-hmm. super important. That's the last chapter in the book. Um, and it just talks about, we are kind of in this environment that ascribes people value based on their productivity, that ascribes mm-hmm. value to people on all sorts of other factors and doesn't acknowledge the humanity in work. And so really Matchbase is about acknowledging that humanity at work and being able to receive everybody's best skills towards a problem. Mm. That's really what we're about. So those are probably the two things that I would want to make sure I say today. Yeah, I'm so glad you 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 did. Jeff didn't get to the last chapter, so he didn't ask a question about that. <laughs> That's but okay. I will I, I will eventually. Yeah. Well, uh, or, over the course of your career, what have been some of the the most impactful books that you've read? So that is a I just adore reading, and so there are so many books. Um, that have impacted me. And then I do most of my reading from the library. So a shout out for free books. So I don't have them as like immediate access behind me, but I do have two of Dan. I have multiple of Dan Pink books, but Drive and When Mm. are both, um, they have a lot to do with Matchpace's work. And in terms of like how you motivate people and how you motivate them to work when. Another one is Manoush Samarodi. She wrote Bored and Brilliant. She's an NPR host. What she is talking about is what boredom does for us, you know, the opportunity to actually let your mind wander. And I got, she was at Politics and Prose, which is a local bookstore in DC. And I got to hear her talk a couple of years ago. And she was saying, they wanted me to change the name. Boredom has such a negative connotation. And she was really insistent that, (laughs) that, um, you know, bored and brilliant, it needed to be about the boredom because that gives space for creativity. Then I would say I've got two more books that are on my to read. You Are Your Best Thing by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. And I think it's really important for all of us who, you know, those of us who are white and who have all these good ideas about maybe the way the world should work um, to think about how those are actually experienced by the people of color around us. Our shared history and our shared future tie us all together. And so we need to work on this together. The second book that is next on my list is The Evolving Self by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Are you familiar with him? I am. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So um, he wrote Flow. And, um, and so then this is another book by him about how we're wired and what we can do to get beyond our wiring. Mm. And I could go on and on and on about books that I've read that have impacted me. And of course, a shout out to fiction books because they also impact me professionally, but that's at least a couple there. Well, those are some some great recommendations. Appreciate that. Well, Elizabeth, finally, as I've interviewed now over uh, 400 people the last eight plus years for the show and study their habits, I have found what I think to be five habits that not all, but most of them seem to practice. And I like to ask, and since episode 400, I've been asking guests to sort of either confirm or deny whether these habits are actually practiced. It's not necessary that you practice them all, but if you do, I'd love to, to kind of get some insight as to how that works for 
for you, starting with uh, habit number one. And these habits, by the way, spell the, the acronym uh, DREAM, D-R-E-A-M. The first one being dance with discomfort. So uh, if this is true for you, give us an example for how you attempt maybe weekly or even daily to make sure you're stepping outside your comfort zone on occasion. Ooh, so I was ready for like a, a global, how am I stepping outside my comfort zone? But daily, <laughs> I like that you narrow that down. Um, probably what I do is I have a journaling practice that mm-hmm. is part of pulling me to who I want to become. Ah, and so yeah. it's every day asking myself, like, how do I get one step closer to that person? Um, and so mm-hmm. that causes me to be more focused and then to take more steps that are outside of my norm, outside of my habits, and to try to change that into who I want to become. So that's probably my daily dance with discomfort. Mm. Well, we've talked a bit about uh, the second one already reading. Obviously, that's something you love to do. Is there anything you have to do to make sure that's something you make time for? Or does it happen naturally because you just love it so much? I, it happens naturally because I love it so much. <laughs> easy one. Right. Well, I mentioned Molly Fletcher and her work, and of course, she's endorsed your book. And, and this is where much of this third one comes from is Molly's work. And it was really revelatory to me to sort of you know, take steps to you know increase the amount of time I spend in the areas that give me energy and lessen the amount of time I spend in areas that take away my energy and viewing my calendar sort of in that 30,000 foot view mm-hmm. mindset. You mentioned her work tying in nicely to yours. Maybe you could expound on that a little bit for this one and how that how that relates to to, to your life. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the chronotype, the chrono pace, that's one way. But I think mm-hmm. the big thing that stood out to me when I looked at that one is this American, like you have to do it all yourself mentality that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is this, it, it permeates like both professional and personal life where we think that, you know, I think as I'm the boss of this small organization and I don't want anybody to think that I'm above doing any particular task. So I'm willing to, and it's like, that's not the best use of my energy. I am not above doing any particular task. I, and I have certainly like put my time in, you know, doing some, some things that are, but, and for some people that is their positive energy. Like there mm-hmm. are, you know, one of my colleagues like loves data. And every time she talks to me, I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, I want to understand this better. I really do. But you know what? The better, the better thing is for her to go off and run with the things that give her energy. And for Mm. me to not feel like I have to understand every single piece of that. And so I'm doing that. And then I also do that in my personal life. I have four young children and there are parts of, you know, maintaining a household and raising children that I enjoy. And there are parts that I don't enjoy. (laughs) And I think that in the US, we don't, I remember a friend of mine from Ethiopia, and this was her experience. This is one person's experience, but she said, even the help has help when they have small children. And so she's like, even what she was saying was that even the people who help our family, when we have children, they have help when they have small Mm. children and just saying like, it's so impossible to do this all on your own. You know, we do not have good support systems in the United States. Like a lot of us live far away from our families. Childcare is super expensive. People who work in childcare are super underpaid. Like there are all of these problems. My husband and I have made it a priority to have household help. And so someone else does our laundry three days a week. And that lifts so so much off of me, you know, in terms of taking negative energy on things that aren't something that only I can do. You know, we've implemented a very small version of that here recently in our home about six months ago as we hired someone to come in and clean on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neither of us work outside the home. We both work from home, yeah. but it's not something either one of us really has a lot of time to put toward. And we dealt for a long time with the guilt of just like, 
hiring someone to come in and do that. I remember I used to mow the lawn myself. I haven't done that for five or six years. And I dealt with guilt for hiring someone to do that for me because, you know, I was raised and what was modeled for me was you do that yourself. And what was modeled for a lot of us is that you do everything yourself. And so if we can acknowledge the value in the labor of other people doing these things, like it's less, it's not about guilt. It's not about, it's also about like them, I mean, the woman that we have who comes in and does our laundry and helps with other stuff, like she adores that work. We adore her. Like she's in her energy, you know, like this yeah. is, it's good for her. So it's like, if we can acknowledge that different people have different skill sets and let people run in those skill sets, that is, mm. you know, that's an opportunity for all of us to manage our energy. And if we appropriately value that work and compensate people, you know, appropriately and all of those things, then, then it makes for a sustainable life for her as well. And so I really am a big fan of, we have a framework in MatchPace called prioritize, minimize, delegate. And so again, it's knowing, being really clear on your priorities and then minimize taking stuff off of your list if you can. So many of us have way more things than are reasonable or possible. And then for those things that aren't your priorities, but you can't take off the list, then you delegate them. And so that's something that we work with like organizational leaders on. And then we all try to practice in our own lives. We're talking about the D, the R, and the E, discomfort, reading, energy. Next is the A. And I would imagine that maybe one of the ways you realize this is maybe through your work with Lisa, but maybe other ways too. I'm talking about a symbol, your advisors, of course, and this often manifests itself in mastermind groups and things of that sort. But assuming you attempt to connect regularly with like-minded people who encourage you and who challenge you and help hold you accountable, in what ways does that tend to, to manifest itself for you? Lisa is a, a big part of that. And then I have some other women who run small businesses that we kind of all talk about the realities of this with each other and can help one another. And then I, right now, a lot of my mentorship is, is virtual mentorship, like through podcasts or through things. Um, You know, it's not a two-way relationship. It's one way them, you know, speaking into my ear. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is where I get new ideas. That is where I get kind of accountability in terms of like, oh, this isn't how I want to be living my life. I want it to be more like this. How can I make that change? Mm. And so probably I would say my, so you're going to, you're getting to the the last one where I'm really struggling, but the the bottom two are probably <laughs> the hardest for me right now. Uh, <laughs> I respect that. I respect that, you know, with regard to uh, books and audiobooks and podcasts and that sort of thing, especially with, with books, one of the things I find helpful is I'll go through and look at the chapter title and the subheadings throughout a chapter, and I'll turn those into questions, take them from statements and turn them into questions. And then as I'm reading the book, I feel as if the author, when I get to that, that section, is answering yeah. my question. And so in that way, I feel like I'm sort of creating a two-way conversation uh, in the process of reading a book, because I think it really can be that in, in the case of a, of a traditional book, certainly. Yeah. Well, let's go to, to mastering your mornings. That's the M in the equation. And you mentioned journaling earlier. I'm imagining that that probably happens oftentimes mm-hmm. in the morning. Do you have a consistent morning ritual? Um, how, do, how do your mornings tend to unfold for you? Yeah. Again, back to those delightful four young children. Um, and so yes. <laughs> acknowledging like a season of life. Um, yes. Yes. That's important. So often also in the, the last chapter, I cite a verse from the book of James in the Bible, which is the mm. be warm and well-fed verse. 
And basically I talk about how sometimes that's so insincere because it's like, oh, we'll have a morning routine. That's what everybody. And it's like, but wait, I've got four small children. I've got, you know, all of these other things. And so how do we Mm. acknowledge, like, how do we create opportunities for people to have real change? And again, that comes back to the systems that we live in and whether or not we can have help. And so what I have realized for myself is if I can have two mornings a week to myself, Mm -hmm. that that makes, that's a big enough difference for me for the week. My husband and I, he takes at least one of those mornings. We have childcare usually for another one. My husband works mm-hmm. outside of the house. Um, my I work from home now. I used to have an office downtown, but with the pandemic, it closed, but he leaves for work pretty much every morning. He has to be somewhere on a particular time. And so we still have these children who need to be gotten ready for school and lunch is packed and all of those things. But if I can have two mornings a week, that's right now in this season, that's good for me. And then that is where I do my journaling. I do try to do some exercise and I try to get straight into the deep work that's interrupted. Um, and that really energizes me that if I can get my most important work done, I'm like zippy, like, oh, this is such a good day. Um, or this, mm. I got it done yesterday. I'm still, you know, like riding high from getting that work done. And so I do not have a consistent morning routine right now. And at the same time, I recognize like, it's just hard to do right now. And so instead of, I mean, occasionally, maybe I'm sounding a little defensive, but like occasionally I feel bad about that, but I'm like, no, this is just reality right now. I think that transparency is is helpful to a lot of people uh, in realizing that, well, I can't do this every day and, and that that's worth something. I, I used to run more regularly than I do today, but I, I remember oftentimes I would get up in the morning and, and if I didn't feel like I could do a 5K or 3.1 miles, I just didn't run at all. Yeah. And then one day I realized, well, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, even if I can get out and run a mile uh, and not do my regular 5K, that's better than nothing at all. And so I think that kind of relates to what you're saying. I, I, you do what you can based on the season of life. And this season of life is such that that might be one or two days a week. And that can be super energizing. I feel like the one thing that I've learned in life is that you need to learn from other people because you don't have time to make all of these, you know, discoveries and understandings yourself everybody says like your children's childhood goes so fast. Yes. And I'm like, really, have you slept in the last nine years? (laughs) I haven't, it's not going fast, but I can now see, I'm like, it does go so fast. So you know what? Five years from now, 10 years from now, I'm going to have the ability to have some sort of peaceful morning routine. But right now I don't. And that's okay. That's okay. So that's the scoop with my morning routine. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, the book again is called Work Reimagined, How the Power of Pace can help your organization achieve a new level of focus, engagement, and satisfaction. Her name is Elizabeth Knox. Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to to be with us. I learned a lot from you. I'm loving the book and I highly recommend it to anyone listening. Thanks, Jeff. I'm really enjoying our conversation. I don't know about you, but I've got a couple of books to add to my reading list. Those Dan Pink books I've read, but not the others that Elizabeth recommended. If you'd like to easily check out all of them in one place, plus the other resources and links we talked about, including how to get in touch with Elizabeth and find out more about her, just visit the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 405 for episode 405. I'd love to hear from you if I can help your organization with your next event, workshop, or book club facilitation, perhaps. Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com is the best way to reach me. And to find out more about my book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career, visit readtoleadbook.com. 
Well, that does it for this week. I'm going to spend the rest of today celebrating my birthday. Yes, today's episode falls on my birthday. And happy birthday to me, I guess. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh,